can grab a seat. If you need a Bible, just slip your hands up. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24 is where we are today. Uh, the ushers will grab one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. One of the things that I have experienced over the course of many years of doing ministry is I get a chance to be kind of invited into people's process in life and where they are in their stage of life, whether it's single or married or college or retiring or empty nesters. It just There's always kind of this, this one thing that seems to kind of weave its way into the life of most people. Even, even as you sit here in the room, most of you probably struggle with this from time to time. And that's that overwhelming desire for your life to mean something. I feel like every single person wants to, wants to have meaning in their life, that whether they're in college, college or whether they're retiring, every single person continues to wrestle with this idea, does, does my life have meaning? And if we're not careful, what ends up happening is a lot of times we take the desire for our life to have meaning and we start putting that meaning on our vocation, on the ministries we do, on the missions we serve. And we start kind of chasing after these ways to find way, like meaning in our life, to find purpose and feel like we're doing something that's, that's valuable. And many of us, what happens is we start looking at the job we're in as detrimental to us actually having meaning or purpose. We look at the, the position we're in, whether we're single or married, as, as we're not going to be able to fully do what we need to do until this life stage happens. Or many of us put off decisions to follow the Lord or to be submitted to him until, well, when I get out of college, I'll do these things. Or when I have children, I'll do these things. And we tend to to kind of focus in on the idea that there's some greener grass somewhere else that will allow us to be more true to who God has made us to be if we can just find the right change, the right combination of changes. Many people, you know, one of the things I see is many people work their way up the ladder, the rung of ladders corporately with their job. And I rarely do I ever hear anyone say, you know, I just don't know if this is what the Lord wants from me. Like, I want to know, like, is, is, is more money really what God wants for me? Is this next position really where I'm supposed to go? Or am I chasing something, chasing something to bring meaning that never will bring meaning? Am I chasing something to bring value that was never intended to bring your value, value to? It was, it's, it's, this, it's this overwhelming desire for us to kind of see where we are and recognize it as not good enough and see where we want to be and assume that that's where we will arrive. But as anyone in this room knows, if you spend any time climbing the ladder, you spend any time getting your kids graduated or moving through those, those stages of kind of family life, you realize that each stage, does, you don't ever really arrive. Each stage just brings with it new issues and new struggles. And if you struggle to follow the Lord as a college student, it's not like getting married is going to make it or your right career will make it happen. If you, fall, if you, if you struggle to submit your will to God in your marriage, it's not going to be like kids are going to fix that or the next job is going to fix that or the next house is going to fix that or we can just move to this other area where the, the pace of the city is slower. We continue to chase and grab and run after all these other aspects of things, all the while missing the contentment that God wants us to have in the very position we are. I think today's text is one of those texts that actually speaks right into that. Now, we have to be careful not to over-apply it to our, to our context because, again, he's doing something inspired by God in the context of Corinth that we just don't have necessarily happening in the same way here today. But I do believe it's very, very important for us to understand where God has us. See, because I, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask today is what if the very spot you are in is exactly where God wants you to be and where you are supposed to be? Even if you're unhappy, even if it's incredibly difficult, excruciatingly painful, what if the position you're in right now isn't some series of circumstances or choices you made to get you there, but it's actually where the Lord wants to do what he wants to do with you to complete, to, to take one more step in the completion process of what he began in you already. Let's, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 7. This section seems like a, a big deviation of the conversation that he's been in. 
seems to, for a second, leave the whole married, unmarried, single, not single, what's going on? Like, he's been talking about sex and married, and all of a sudden he comes to this weird section where he he brings two kind of ideas into the text that I think, realistically, these aren't meant to be sections that talk about circumcision and slavery as a whole, but he's using these two very, very common, like, understanding points to drive home the point of single life and marriage. And and next week we'll dig back more more into the, the whole single life, so I'd encourage you guys to come back for that as well. So verse 17 is where we're going to pick up. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of this of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant, a slave, when you called, when called? Do not be concerned about it. Don't worry about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, a slave, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, who is free, he who is free when called, is a bondservant or slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there, let him remain with God. Now, one of the things that is just a really, really brilliant thing to do when we're studying scripture is to recognize certain things that stand out. And I was taught this a long time ago, and I would encourage all of you, if you ever are reading through scripture and you see one word over and over and over again, that's not because they were just like, I just don't know which other word to use, right? That's not, they weren't confused. There's a reason. They're driving, the author is driving home a point. And there's, well, there's one word that shows up eight times in these few verses. That's this word of call calling, called. And this shows up every time. So I think it's important for us to understand what that first means before we dig into what he's trying to dive home, drive home for us in the context of this scripture. First off, most of us today, we use the word calling, I think, completely unbiblically. I don't think we mean to, but we use it unbiblically. We say things like, oh, I just, I don't feel called to, to serve in that way. I feel like the Lord's calling me to, to go to this new job. And I feel like the Lord's calling this. And again, the way we're saying it is probably right. We're saying God's leading us, but he's not, the scripture here, this is not what this, this, this all eight times of the word calling shows up here, it has nothing to do with vocation, nothing to do with what you're doing. It has to do with the call of God to us in salvation. And that's predominantly how the word calling is used in scripture. Like across the board, you'll see a generic call. Those who receive or listen to submit themselves to the call, we see out of Matthew, Jesus saying it. But really, most of the time, it's the idea of us being called as children to God. Salvation calling. And that's what he's using here. He's saying, look, you were called into faith. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called. So we were called by God, what? Into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So all Christians are called. The problem is when we use the word calling, like God is, is calling me to go here, the danger in that is that then it feels like, well, I don't want to disagree with God. So I don't even want to give you any counsel because if I see something potentially different, I feel like I'm going against God. You can say, man, I feel like the Spirit is leading me. That's absolutely, yeah, okay. Well, let's pray about it. Let's talk about this. Let's see where God's going in this. But many people, I think we use the word calling, like God has called me to marry you. Eh, Okay, let's be really careful, okay? If a guy says that to you, ladies, run. I'm just kidding, sorry. Calling is what he's talking about. He's saying literally remain in the state you were in when you were converted. That's what he's saying here. Eight different times. Remain, remain where you are in the state with which you are. Don't seek greener grass. Don't look for a different way. Remain where you are when you're converted. When you are drawn by God into believing, loving fellowship with his son, this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, 
no matter where you are, in the context of the scripture, he's saying if you're single, remain single. If you're married, remain married. He's not saying, he's basically saying in this context, don't worry about it. Just stay where you are. And then he uses two really huge different kinds of topics that would have been just like clear as day to them. To us, it's a little bit more muddy as we, where we are in the context. But the first one in verse, uh, verse 18 through, or yeah, 18 through, 18 through 19, he says this. He says, was anyone at the time of his call, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Now that's, I was a little confused by that. And so I did some research. I got some slides to show you what that looks like. I'm just kidding. I don't, guys. I'm just kidding. Totally don't. Okay, so, so I don't have any slides. You don't have to worry about that. As weird as it sounds, what was happening in this day is Rome looked like horribly down on. They looked down on Jews, the circumcised. It was, it was a reference to the Jewish people. In fact, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, if I say that right, I don't even know if I messed it up, but he, at one point trying to eradicate Judaism, looked for circumcision as the way to do so. So it was a very big thing. And what was happening in Rome is Rome was like you were seen as such a underclassman, such a secondary classman as a Jew. There were some Jews that were looking for ways surgically to hide the circumcision. And that was happening. And then there were definitely, we see this out of a couple other books where there were, there were Gentiles converted into Christianity. And there were some Christian, Jewish Christians that were saying, you need to be circumcised to be a part of this. And so he's saying, look, neither of them matter. Now, to us, when we hear that today, like, okay, it doesn't really matter. Cool. To them... When he says that circumcision means nothing, guys, that is about the most unpolitically correct and offensive thing he could have ever said. What he's saying right here, he's saying, look, the, the mark, the physical mark that you use that, that, would, that would identify you as God's children has no value anymore. We see circumcision is, is used actually in, in Colossians as baptism. It's the idea of us being baptism. Circumcision of the heart is the idea. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter. Your physical circumcision, or whether you're uncircumcised, it just doesn't matter. And in their context, what was happening is there was still this, this class thing, the Gentile and the Jew, and they were, at, they were at odds with each other. To us today, it's not necessarily Gentile Jew, but it's black, it's white. We, we, we have all kinds of diversities. And what he's saying here, and this is what he's saying, he's not saying that all of them are beautiful. In fact, he's saying the very opposite. He says all of them don't matter. What matters most is obeying the, the, the laws of God following, submitting yourself, loving the laws of command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what matters. Your ethnic background doesn't matter. You don't need to chase changing it. You don't need to chase dual citizenship. You don't need to, you don't need to try and change who you are because where you were called into God is where he has you. And he's saying, don't worry about it. Stop worrying about what class you're in socially. Stop worrying about what ethnic background you are. Stop trying to over-celebrate one race when really all races don't matter at the end of the day. What matters is the submission to God's commands. What matters is that we abide in his, in his, in his commands and we remain in his commands and we, we experience this everlasting and true joy that comes from that. What matters is loving the Lord with God, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. That's what matters. And that's the line that's being drawn here. He's saying, look, stop chasing these other areas. Stop looking to being in a different people group. And for us in this context, it's not, it's not a blanket. It's, it's wrong for you to seek dual citizenship or it's wrong for immigration to happen. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not, he's not saying this, is, this shall not happen. What he's saying is stop putting all your effort and energy into that and put your effort and energy into following Christ and let him deal with that stuff. Let him work with that. This is the context he's doing. Again, every single Jewish person would have been, I mean, grossly offended by what he said there. He's saying, look, your, your external mark 
that made you think you had some position with God, it means nothing in Christ but to, to obey, to submit to the commands. The Apostle Paul actually circumcises Timothy because Timothy is a half Jew. So it's not that he's saying you can't do it. So it, it seems like he's going against this. He, he circumcises Timothy because of the fact that it, he feels that it will ruin his, his ministry with the people he's with if he doesn't get circumcised because of his, his blended family design. So it's not saying he can't do it. The Apostle Paul also says, I am all things to all people. So he's not saying there's anything wrong with changing or trying to find ways to love people or to connect with them. What he's saying is stop seeking after it. Stop putting your energy and your time into trying to change some ethnic background, change some social background, and just live where you were called. Serve where you were called. Be faithful to steward God's gifts where you are. He may take you somewhere else, but stop chasing that because when you chase that, you lose sight of the very thing he's trying to do with you in the current circumstances. Stop chasing other social classes. He goes on and, and talks about slavery. And slavery in this time, in, in Corinth, they estimate some one-third were slaves. And then they say another third were most likely freed slaves. And then the last third was, was freed men. So it's a, it's a, there's a rampant amount of slavery. Now, in, in this day and age, slavery looked a little bit differently than what we know of our South. There were a lot of slaves, a good chunk of slaves that were incredibly well-educated. They made their masters immense amount of money. They were mathematicians, doctors, politicians. Like they had held high levels. They were just owned by someone. That being said, there were also a lot of slaves that were grossly, horrifically treated. And one of the, the, one of the things that most scholars agree with, with the issue about sexual immorality, the reason why this question even came to the Paul in Ephesus and why, why they're asking this, is because of the fact that when you were a slave, you were owned by your master, and the master could do whatever they wanted to you. And so what happened, because Christianity had made its way into, following Jesus Christ had made its way into Corinth, there were slaves that started coming to faith. Well, there were slaves that were literally having to act in sexual immorality with their master because their master made them do this. So that's happening in this. It's a gross, horrible thing. In this scripture, just to be really clear, the apostle Paul does not condone slavery in any way. He, doesn't. he says, in fact, he says, if you can get free, do it. But what he tells you is, hey, stop, stop worrying about whether or not you, the same way that believers last week were worried about becoming unclean when they, were married, when, when they came to faith and their husband or wife didn't, he's saying, no, 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 don't worry about it. God, God knows that. He sees that. He's aware of it. He's not confused. You just serve the Lord. And in doing so, you submit to this person and you, you love them in spite of the fact that they don't do it, which really, if you think about it, as horrible as that sounds, that's not any different than Jesus taught. The man wants your cloak, give him your tunic too. He asks you to go a mile, go an extra mile. He's saying occupying Rome, do that with them. The people that have enslaved you, go further to love them, to show them, love your enemies. And so he's not, he's not trying to make, this isn't a text to make the, okay, is there a case for or against slavery? Slavery is wrong. One of the ways that we as a church try to engage in the, some millions of people that are still enslaved around the world is in the Philippines. There's a number of people that are sex trafficked and we are invested in a church in Novotis that is working at getting education to, to attack slavery on the front end. If we get them education, they don't ever go into the sex trafficking. And so that's something we do. So we believe as a church to abolish this, to fight this, to go for it. That's, that's a big thing that I think every Christian should be invested in in some way. But what he's saying is it's, it's, not, it's not the biggest thing because Jesus healed a lot of people in his day, but those people didn't submit themselves necessarily to him. And to be physically healed for a little while is nice, but to be submitted to the Lord is really the point and the purpose of our lives. To, to know him for an eternity as our master is the point. And so he's, he's talking about slavery and he says, look, don't worry about it. This would have, to us, we don't even understand it. This would have been so much 
peace brought to that young man or young woman slave that was being forced into doing things that were not, like the scriptures were telling him not to do. To hear this like, it's okay. It's not, it's not right. It's not right, but God is still with you. You're okay. Serve the Lord. Be faithful to him. And if you have an opportunity to get your freedom, do so. A lot of what he might be also talking about here is the, what they call the, the, it is the bond servant. It's the slave that after seven years, we see this in, in um, we see this in Exodus uh, 21, the slave that had been, spent his seven years, then he had to be released and they could either release him beyond their own or they would choose to stay with the family. And so they get their earlobe pierced and say, I, 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 even though as a freedman, I desire to stay with this family and I believe in, in my value or because of the position, the socioeconomic position, or because of just, they, they cared about each other and there was a relationship. And so there's a lot of slaves that would have been still choosing to be slaves because they saw the value of the family and being in this situation. So that's another group of people he could be talking about here. But at the end of the day, what this text is saying is saying, don't worry about your socioeconomic status. Don't worry about where you are. You're a slave, you're free in Christ. And then he says something that's just provocative. If you're free, you're a slave to Christ. So the slaves, the, 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 the physical slaves experience freedom in Christ and the freedmen experience slavery in Christ. Even though all of us are considered slaves, it's a very interesting play on words where he's pushing into these people and he's saying, look, you can't be proud or prideful about your position. You can't be, you can't be the person that's like, oh, I'm free and so therefore I'm higher than you because that's what he's saying. It's like, it does not matter. No one is higher than anyone else in God's kingdom. This is, this is, this is what he's teaching. He's like, look, it doesn't, it doesn't change this. You are all equally valuable in the kingdom of God. And if you are a slave that is being tormented or you are a freed man that has experienced the joys of, of lavish life, both of you are slaves to Christ. Both of you are meant to live a life fully obedient to God, despite your circumstances, despite what happens around you, despite the, the things that you can't control. This settles us. We have actually a really beautiful picture of this happening in our church right now. We have uh, someone that spent a good amount of time in the maximum security prison, and we have one of the maximum security prison guards. They're in communion and unity together in church. This is, this is what happens when people forget the socioeconomic lines, and they just say, I don't care. This is what happens when someone that's supposed to keep that person in, the, in jail is now in relationship with them outside of the jail. God is bigger than where we are in our status. God is bigger in the ways that we think, way bigger than what we can think. Why do we limit ourselves so much? This is, this is really what he's going after. And again, he'll get back into the marriage stuff. So in this, this is a really solid driving point to remind them like, you're married, stay married. You're single, stay single. He's, we're gonna talk about that next week. This is really what he's saying. But we also have to see that for us today, a context where I don't feel like we're over applying it is that we have to really see that where God has us is where we're supposed to be. Many of you right now are discontent You've been chasing. You're thinking about uprooting your whole family. You're thinking about jumping ship on your job. You're thinking about doing all those things. And let me say this. It's very possible that that might be where the Lord's leading you. Very possible. I'm not saying he won't do that. But a lot of you, and most of the time, when I talk to people, they aren't really praying about it or seeking counsel. They're doing the logical thing. Well, numerically, it makes sense in my income, so I must just have to do it. Well, it makes sense for our house to sell, and we can get this house over there, and it'd just be way easier to leave and we live. And we, we never once stop to say, God, do you, do you want to use me? In the area I'm at, <laughs> this person that was in prison has been bringing many people that have experienced their freedom to faith and to church, right? Because he's, he's, he's settled on the fact that this is where God had him. And I bet if you asked him, he wanted to be out. And now as he's out, he experiences the freedom there, but he's not taking that to his own advantages. Instead, he's using it to the advantage of people around him. This is the same for all of us. 
If you're unhappy in your work, maybe God wants to save someone through a conversation with you there. And because of your, your frustration and your feistiness and your unwillingness to actually have any kind of healthy interactions, you're just fighting and, and complaining and you just sound like everyone else in the workplace. And there's no real bright spot as you as a, as a follower of Christ. Some of you really lament about your family, right? Like, man, my family stinks. There's no one in there I like. There's no one that knows the Lord. What if the Lord has saved you to be the advocate to changing the whole family? What if, what if God is gonna use you in that way? Why run from those things? This text really, like, what this text does for us is it brings us to a spot of just peace. If you think about it, it brings us to a spot where it's like, we, don't no, longer, we no longer have to worry about this because he goes on and says, look, here's, here's the posture, slave or not slave, circumcised or uncircumcised. Here's the posture. He says, no matter what, at the end of the day, you are a bondservant of Christ. You are a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. We talked about this back in chapter six. The price was Jesus's life, a price that none of us could actually pay to experience that freedom. You've been, you've been purchased at the highest level. No one can out-purchase Christ for you. No one can enslave you when you are a slave of Christ. You don't belong to anyone else but Christ. Therefore, you live your life for Christ. You serve for Christ. You work in your job for Christ. You're a husband in your marriage for Christ. You're a dad or a wife for Christ. You're in college for Christ. That means that every position you're in, you stop looking to the future and hoping you can do something for Christ there and you say, what can I do for you today? See, here's the thing. One thing that I think in this day and age that the slaves had an advantage to the freedmen is to a slave, there was never room to ask questions. It's wrong. I get it. Like, we're not supposed to treat people that way. You parent this, way, we got, we got issues, okay? But, but at the end of the day, if the master asked them to do something, they did it. They didn't argue. They didn't talk back. They maybe didn't do it with the right heart, but they did it. And when God uses us as slaves of Christ here, he's literally saying that's the posture with which we are to operate with God. That means that when God says in his scripture that you are not to date a person like this in this situation or to be unequally yoked, you don't just go, mm, maybe not. As a slave, you go, yes, master. That means that when he says, don't give yourself to sexual immorality, you go, well, we really love each other. It's like, no, yes, master. It means when he says that you are to go and make disciples of all nations, you don't complain about the nations you're a part of, and you just say, yes, master. That means that when your life is confronted by the scriptures, you don't just go, nah, I don't know, I like it, or try and justify your way around it. You say, yes, master. Paul goes one step further and urges and says he's a, he's a prisoner of the Lord. He calls himself a prisoner. This is, guys, this is our posture. And here's, here's the most brilliant and beautiful thing about this. There's so much freedom in it, right? Because if we just settle on being a bondservant to Christ, if we just settle like, man, my life is about him, we no longer have to worry about what we do to earn people's approval in us. We no longer have to feel like we need to, to progress to get to the certain spot in this job because then we'll have arrived because we already know we've arrived in Christ. We no longer have to question whether or not we should just obey him. We can just submit ourselves to him and say, I'm sorry, I, I don't like it. Sometimes there's things that, that literally I feel like the Lord pushes on me in my life where it's like, I really want to do the other thing. And I could give you good reasons why to do the other thing, but I would be in disobedience to God. It's so freeing to live this way. And that's what he's saying. To a slave that's being treated horribly, he's like, you're freed in Christ. Don't worry about where you are. I'm going to do a work. Win your master over to the Lord. Show them what it means to be submitted to me. Show them what it means to be a servant of me. Show them what it means to love like I have loved. And every single one of you are on the hook. Any one of you in here that have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, you're on the hook to operate that way in your schools, in your jobs, in your homes, in your extended homes, in your church, in your city, in your state, in your country, and around the world. That is, that is a command of all his children. What would it look like if we just lived where we were? 
at peace with the fact that maybe we're doing a menial task that doesn't seem like it's going to bring any, any notice from anyone, but recognizing we're doing it for the Lord. What would it mean for us to just see like there's, there's, no, there's no thing that's, that's beneath me. I'm just beneath the Lord. What would it look for us in our marriages if we just submitted ourselves to love and respect the way that scriptures command us to do so? Guys, this is why he's saying, he's saying, look, it doesn't matter. Circumcision doesn't matter. Your, your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your culture doesn't matter. None of those things matter. What matters is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what matters. So stop chasing the next thing. So if you get real practical here for a second, some of you are like, man, I was praying about a job change. Now what do I do, right? I don't want you to feel guilty about praying about a job change. I just want you to really understand what that job change's purpose is for. So here's, here's the reality. Let me just make it as simple as possible. The job you're in right now, your purpose is to serve the Lord in it. That means to work well for your boss, to serve them, to be faithful, and to, to show the entire community of the people you work with who Jesus is and the way your actions are and the way you speak. If you go to the next job, it's the same role. It doesn't change. You don't get to change that at all. It, doesn't, it, it, may, it may change who you do it with. It may change the, the avenues with which you're able to do it, but it doesn't change the fact that that's what's expected of you. The same is true if you're single. Serve the Lord. Be faithful to serve the Lord. And if you get married, serve the Lord. If you're chasing after marriage because you want it to fulfill something that's, that's missing, guys, you got it all wrong. If you're chasing after the next house because you're like, if I can just get a little bit bigger house, we'll just have more comfort and everything will be great, you got it all wrong. God, do you want me in that neighborhood or this neighborhood? God, do you want me around these people or those people? Or do you want me around both? Because at, at the end of the day, if you say both, I'm your slave and I got to do it. This is what he's driving home, is, is stop worrying about whether or not you're going to make more money. Stop worrying about whether or not you're going to have a bunch of kids or not have kids. Stop, literally, he's just like, this is like, if you could just kind of find this moment, this is the most peaceful thing we could do, is just let go. Jesus tells us this. He says, who can add a single hour to their day by worrying? Nothing. None. We can't add anything. So why? He says, we see in Philippians to be anxious in nothing, right? It's, it's a command. Don't be anxious. Why would he say that? Because there's a way for which I, we can do it by his spirit. There's a way we can live. And I'm telling you right now, what brings about anxiousness and what brings about un, uh, disobedience in our life to God is when we start chasing other things. And we believe that those other things are going to bring something that they will never, ever bring. They won't bring the happiness. You want to experience happiness? I mean, true joy, not a cheap happiness. Remain in God's commands. That's where Jesus says we can get it. Obey him, and you'll experience a joy that overflows. You want to experience meaning in your life? Stop making a job the expectation that meaning will come and recognize that you, have, you are a child of God, and that's the most meaning that could ever happen in our lives. Bring meaning to your, your workplaces. Stop grumbling. Stop whining. Be a, be a light in your workplace. Could you imagine that? What would it be like if all of a sudden people are like, man, just these... These Christians, man, they're, they're kind of annoying about how much they talk about Jesus, but they're just amazing to work with. And they're just so kind and so gentle and so peaceful. Man, look at our Facebook is blown up by people that claim Christ and they're just not gossiping or slandering. There's people like, this is what he's trying to say is no matter where you are, no matter what position you're in, married, single, kid, adopted, foster, no matter how hard it was, prison, not prison, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Submit yourself to the Lord right where he has you and watch him work through you. That's what he's doing. We're going to take communion today. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do it today is because I feel like the very reason that Jesus tells us to take communion is he says, do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance is where we get amnesia from. So he's basically saying, don't forget me. And I think a lot of the times when we forget him is when we start chasing these other things. We forget him when we chase 
our, our, a better marriage. We, we forget when we chase these, this new job or we chase having kids. And all those things are beautiful things. But when we start chasing them as the thing, we lose sight of who he is. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I've done. And so for you today, my encouragement, if you are a follower of Jesus in here, if you submitted your life to Jesus as Lord, you remember this time when he called you. There was a season. It may have been young. It may have been a little bit ago, but you were called into faith with him. And he's saying like, hey, where I called you, I'm going to start working right there. You don't have to find something else. I'm going to start working on you right there. Don't be impatient. If if I'm going to send you to the other end of the world, don't worry. I will send you to the other end of the world. It will happen. It'll happen on my timing when I believe you can do it in the way that will bring me the most glory. Don't worry. I'll take care of the changes that you want. Just submit yourself to me. And so when we come to communion, this is an opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done for us. We take the bread, and the bread is to symbolize his broken body, his body that was just beaten and hung on that cross and brutally just torn apart, flesh ripped from his skin. And we realize, we, we declare both, A, that that had to happen for us to have a right relationship with him. And then we see the juice, and the juice symbolizes his blood that was spilled, and in the blood is the life of Jesus, and it spills out to cover all of our sins. And so when we take communion, we, we, are, we are proclaiming our forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ alone. We're proclaiming his goodness but we go one step further. We, so many of us stop there in communion. The next step in communion is, is looking forward. It's, seeing, it's pleading that Jesus is actually not partaking in this meal. He's preparing a meal for his children right now. He's preparing it. He's setting this place up. He's got it exactly the way it is. And he says, I will not partake of this again until my kingdom is complete. And so he's awaiting to take this feast with us. He's awaiting for the opportunity to step in that. And so we proclaim, Jesus, come again. And in line of our text today, and in in line with what we're talking about today, it's recognizing that God has saved you where you were, and God will complete what he began in you. And you don't need to chase anything else. And so you you proclaim that. As we get further in Corinthians, probably in like a decade at the rate we're going right now, um, he talks about communion and how they were actually misusing the the Lord's Supper. They were coming hungry, and people were, they they were just misusing it in a real big way. And a lot of it was the heart condition. I think a lot of times as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we go to the Lord's Supper, we go to communion without really truly looking at where our heart is. The very symbol of, of communion is the forgiveness of sins. And so if you are carrying sins to the table, that's just, it's ludicrous because you don't have those in Christ. Those have been forgiven in Christ. And so some of you, you, you need to, to confess you need to confess that sin. Maybe it's confessing the Lord. Maybe it's confessing your spouse or, or your community with you. Or maybe you, you know that there's bitterness or something or there's, there's unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus says that God will forgive you the way you forgive other people. So that's, that seems like a pretty big thing to hold on to. He says, if there's forgiveness in your heart, go, go text someone. Go have that conversation and then come to the Lord's Supper. If you're not a believer in here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I, like, I hear all these things and like you're saying, God's gonna leave me in my, my horrible situation right now. Like, let me just say this. He may. I mean, he left slaves in that situation. I don't think any of us have it worse than that. But he's going to do something in your heart that's far better than your circumstances. He's going to do something in your life that's better than anything else. You'll, you'll experience a hope that is not experienceable in any other way. you experience a freedom that you never have ever walked in, in Christ. So I would encourage you not to, it's kind of, it's kind of pointless for you to just walk back there and, and, and if you're hungry, we can give you food afterwards. That's kind of the issue they're having in Corinthians, right? But but it's kind of pointless to go and take that if you haven't really declared that this is truly mine, like that he is mine and I'm his. He's my master. He's I'm submitted to it. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't believe that, then I want to encourage you. Submit yourself to him. Lay yourself down as a bondservant, as a slave to Christ. Say, God, have your way with me. Do whatever you need to do so that I can live to bring you glory and no longer myself glory. 
That's a beautiful thing to do. Then, then enjoy that. If you're here and you have a sin, I said confess, but there's an extra part of confession. Christians tend to be really good about saying, I shouldn't do this, but there's actually, a, a, the, the scriptures teach of repentance, which is a turning from and turning to God. So I'd encourage you, if there's something that you continue to give yourself to, to, to confess that, but then also let the Spirit really work on you in repenting and turning to. So the, the band's gonna come up, and we're gonna just give you guys freedom to take communion at any point during the next few songs. You can just go back there. It's in the back of the room. Um, but in doing so, again, I would encourage you to do it individually, collectively as a group or as a family, whatever you, you would like to do that. But do it with a heart that, that's settled on God's grace and forgiveness. Do it with remembering not only when he called you, but also that he's going to complete you. That's the most beautiful promise ever. He didn't just start working and then go, oh man, I totally forgot about you. He started a work in you. He says, I will complete it. I will finish this work in you. It's one of the best promises ever because it's resting not on just him saying it, but it's resting on his character and who he is. It's a good thing. And then we'll take communion when you feel led to take. So you just take communion together, pray together, and we'll continue to worship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to come to you, even when we know we are a broken, hot mess. God, for the people in the room that are um, really confused by their current circumstances, maybe they're, they're, they're almost, um, almost paralyzed by which way to step even because there seems like there's so many options out there. God, would you just give them a peace recognizing that where you have them is where they are and that you're going to lead them? You tell us that your word is a lamp unto our feet. You tell us that if we incline our hearts to you, that you will give us the desires of our hearts. So God, I just pray that we would, we would do that. We would give our hearts to you. We would give everything of us to you. God, for the individual that's in here that's like, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm a little afraid of this idea of submitting my life to someone that I'm going to be a slave to. But God, would you help them to see that there's no better position to be than a slave of Christ? Because it's for freedom he has set us free. As counterintuitive as those two words are together, freedom and slave, it's the most beautiful and beneficial place we can be in our lives. When we come to anything in scripture, we say, God, your way, not mine. Your will, not mine. And as we, as we step into communion, God, as we step into a time to remember not only what you've done for us through Jesus Christ, but also the promise of what you're going to complete, I pray, God, I pray show up today. Come back today. Let us just experience you. Let us actually enjoy not this little cracker and bread and, and juice, but let us enjoy the feast with your son, Jesus Christ, in his glory. And until that day, God, I pray that we as your children would be obedient and faithful servants of you wherever you have us and wherever you're taking us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.